It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome into the VolQuest podcast. Big thank you to everybody who's jumped on board with us over at On3 right now. Incredible deal, $1 for one year. It's on our website, and of course, we tweeted out uh, on the daily. So appreciate you guys for jumping on board, and of course, for always following our work at VolQuest on YouTube as well. Awesome price. Brent Hubbs, Rob Lewis. I am Eric Kane. A lot to talk about. The season is finally here. And Brent Hubbs, Tennessee, a 59-10 season opening win over Ball State. Yeah, I mean, look, Tennessee did what they needed to do. They, they took care of business. Um, hats off to them for that. Now it's time to move past that one pretty quick here and, and go into a different set of challenges because um, they just didn't get challenged by Ball State, particularly Ball State's defense. Uh, Rob, I was surprised Ball State basically wanted to play seven-on-seven football on the back end and, and not even really try to get make Hendon Hooker even see if they can make him uncomfortable at all. Jabari Small saying on Monday they didn't have a blitz pickup all night long at the running back position. Really surprised me the way Ball State attacked Tennessee defensively. Yeah, it was just, I mean, kind of you know selling out to keep everything in front of them. Um, you know, my, my first impression was that Tennessee was pretty vanilla, you know, Hendon didn't really try to push it down the field, but rewatching, I mean, I, like, like Jabari said today, but it seemed like they almost, you know, rushed three, sometimes four, but basically bailed eight. And, you know, my, my take after watching it was, I was really impressed that, you know, Hooker just didn't gamble. Cause that's, and that was a game where, you know, if you want to make a big play and forced one at a 50, 50 ball, it wasn't going to be the end of the world if you had an interception, but he was really mature, really patient. And, um, you know, took what they gave him all night long. Well, Tennessee ran the football well, Austin. Uh, obviously, you want to come out and establish the run. That's what Josh Heupel wants to do in this offense. And I recognize it's Ball State, but you had two backs, 13 carries apiece. Jabari Small on that one touchdown run where he just kept churning his feet, and Javante Spragans gave him the assist there. And then, you know, Jalen Wright thought it was important for him to get a whole lot of work, get, get some contact because he really hadn't had a whole lot of contact throughout fall camp being out that much. But uh, specifically those two guys, because they're going to need them in pass pro, obviously, but also to run the football this week at Pitt. Yeah, again, J- Jalen Wright had, had such a great off season. Um, I thought it was good for him to <clears throat> get his first contact work uh, of, of the fall because he didn't get in fall camp. And uh, we kind of knew that going in and, you know, uh, kind of, you know, got his first couple of hits and, 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 and really I thought got better as his uh, – as his reps went along, he he was very very. Um, very, I guess I would say gunshot first, and then you know, as he got went on, he started to get more and more confident. Jamari Small more confident, and um, you know, so a running game that you know still has to be better this week. They they need to be able to run the ball this week against Pitt. They get in a close game, Brent. They may need to close one of these games out, and they're going to do that on the ground. Yeah, they do. I mean, they ran for 136 yards against Pitt last year. Um, strange game last year, though, when you start going back and looking at it, and, and I know everybody's kind of taking a look at that. That that was a strange deal because Tennessee had a rash of injuries. Jabari Small, I mean, Jalen Wright getting his first real action as a player was thrown into the fire against Pitt. Jerome Carvin's playing center. Uh, they lost Caden Mays in that game as well. I mean, Tennessee was playing, I will say, one hand tied behind her back, but but that was a very different Tennessee team against Pittsburgh than, than what you saw uh, really the rest of the season. But uh, they, they've got to run the football better. 
I think this Pitt team is a little bit uh, – you got a better feel for them because they played better competition. But at the same time, too, Eric, uh, they, they didn't play, to me, the caliber of talent that Tennessee has. So there's, there's still quite a bit um, – there's still quite a bit of unknowns, I guess you could say, about Pitt when you're talking about uh, – even though they played better competition in week one than Tennessee did. No, I would agree. And, uh, you know, you look at Tennessee, you like what they, you know, like a lot of what they did offensively, of course, because the tempo they were going, you know, Pat Narduzzi spoke on that on the nation as well. And, you know, they were, they were going about as fast as they want to ran 86 plays. They spread the wealth around offensively, but again, wasn't challenged a lot. Uh, you had ball state that would drop eight in coverage on, on third downs. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, Jabari small saying that they didn't have a, you know, a pass pickup whatsoever. That's, that's all going to change this week. Tight ends are going to have to be involved. Um, you know, how, Charlie Browder, you know, came up a little limp the other night. And, and of course, Hunter Solomon was pressed into action. Tennessee's going to need to play three tight ends, of course. What's the status of Miles Campbell moving forward? Um, a lot of that's going to be different this week, you know, that we didn't really get to learn a whole lot. I just think from from a, you know, from a season opening game, Austin, I think it was good to see all that. But still, there's some unknowns that we're going to find a lot about this team come up uh, Saturday night when it's all said and done. Yeah, and this kind for everybody. Uh, where, where do you feel like Tennessee's? got to be, um, and I won't say significantly better, but better uh, this week than maybe last week. Obviously, you're not going to – they were very vanilla in certain phases with the game plan, the fact they didn't blitz a whole lot. But where do you feel like they've got to be better this week uh, going into game two versus after one game? Well, I think for me that, that they have to be better uh, on your offensive line. Uh, left tackle, what do they do there? We, we don't know. Uh, that That's an unproven situation. And they got to get to the quarterback, Rob. I, and I know Ball State took that away, but I, I just – and and I know Josh Heupel was, was complimentary of his defensive front. I just didn't think they moved the quarterback off the spot enough upon a rewatch. Maybe, maybe I was hypercritical because there's been so much talk about Byron Young and Tyler Barron and being able to get home with four – I didn't expect them to come out of there with a bunch of sacks because of the way Ball State played, but I, I just didn't think they were as effective as I thought they would be with, with, with their four down linemen in, in terms of pass rush. Yeah, Hubbard. I mean, I would I would take it one step further. It wasn't to me? It wasn't just the the lack of pass rush, and as you mentioned, I mean, Ball State was hyper focused on getting that thing out early. So, you know, I I give them a little bit of a break on that, but they just didn't. They just weren't very disruptive. Up front, what do they have on them? Two two tackles for loss on the night, if I'm yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Um, just didn't create a lot of negative plays up there. Um, at the, and you know, Ball State had 17 first downs on the night. You know, some again, they Tennessee emptied the bench in the second half, but they just they they just didn't create havoc in in the front seven like I thought they would. And I mean, I think that's got to got to be better and. You know, I think they're going to have some chances against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh gave up five sacks to West Virginia. They did not run the ball very well. I think they finished, I think, 76 yards, yeah. 75, 76 yards rushing. And, you know, so they that, tried I, to run it, Rob. They yeah, tried to run it. They had 38, 38 rushing attempts. And, then, you know, some of those, you know, again, five sacks. So those, those are five, you know, rushing attempts that go down. But Pittsburgh was not very effective on, on the ground. So, I mean, I, I really feel like Tennessee's going to have an opportunity there in the front seven, but they're going to have to be better than what we saw last Thursday, in my opinion. And again, I think a lot of what Thursday was, and I, I just, the way I was explaining it to a buddy the other day, I just, 
Tennessee didn't have to do a whole lot. It was Ball State. Tennessee jumped up to a big lead. Um, sure, would you like to rep some of those loops, twists, turns, you know, bringing pressure from the second level? I mean, sure, you know. Um, I don't think it was like they're trying to keep it away from from the tape or anything. Uh, it just you didn't have to do any of that because of Ball State and you had a big lead. Uh, they will get more complex this week, no doubt, because they did not play games up front. And, and I, Austin, I think that that's something we're going to see a lot of moving forward this week. I, I do want to ask all you guys, but, you know, Austin, we'll start with you. The question we've all been asked all over the weekend, Warren Burrell, what did you think about his play, how teams are going to continue to attack him early in football games, and overall uh, kind of his status in the defensive backfield for Tennessee? Yeah, for me, I, I think that's exactly where Pitt will go early and often when they throw it. I mean, Coach Narduzzi wants to run the football. You know, he was he, he was very vocal about it all offseason, about, you know, the, their change from the, you know, you know Coach Whipple to, to their new OC and, you know, how they're going to get back to, to being a little more smash mouth. But when they do throw it, I expect them to try to pick on Warren Burrell. Why not? I mean, he, he gives a lot of pad. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's some by design. But, you know, it just seems like a lot of teams at the end of last year, um, you know, right into the start of this year are kind of going at him. I would also expect Pitt to, you know, you know, Throw, throw a wrinkle or two at Tennessee offensively, um, you know, whether it be trick plays or whatever, because I think, you know, Tennessee kind of fell into that, to that, uh, you know, going to sleep last year, you know, a couple of times, uh, you know, not, not against Pitt, but, you know, in, in the game before Pitt, you know, they had the, the, the trick play used on against them for a touchdown. I think, you know, why not throw some wrinkles at Tennessee, but I expect them to go right at Warren Burrell, which is why I said on Saturday uh, and, on, and on Sunday, Tennessee needs Kamal Haddon to come on. They need him to, to establish himself, take that job, and run with it. I know he was injured during fall camp. I know they only played him limited snaps the other night. But he looked um, by far the most comfortable, most confident corner that Tennessee's got on the roster, which is why they need him to play a lot more than 18 snaps. And, Brent, the, to even further that point about uh, Warren Burrell, uh, this is from uh, Pro Football Focus. Burrell was targeted 11 times on Thursday night. Gave up six receptions. That's a 54.5 uh, uh, reception percentage. But targeted 11 times the next closest. I mean, Kamal Haddon got four targets. Christian Charles got four targets. I mean, it, it's obvious. Uh, five targets went uh, uh, Jeremy Banks' way over the middle of the field, but that's just a process of playing middle linebacker. They're going to go after Warren Burrell. Ball State watch tape. Pittsburgh's watch tape and and you know Kamal Haddon and others are gonna have to step up and if Warren Burrell cannot overcome that I thought he did a nice good job a couple of times recovering he was in man coverage a couple of times moving all over the field in motion making the tackle in front of the sticks I pointed that out in my review piece but they're gonna go after him and so others have to be ready to step in and play at a more consistent rate like Kamal Haddon yeah well they're, they're everybody's gonna go after four I mean that, that's gonna be on the scouting report until Warren Burrell makes enough plays that people don't want to go at him anymore. But the, the one play, you know, if we're, if, you know, just talking about him specific, Rob, the one play for me that, that bothered me the most is uh, it was a third and five or third and six. And he just, I mean, he let the guy get all the way to the sticks, you know, and, and had a three or four yard cushion there and, and couldn't, um, couldn't recover in time. I mean, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta trust and play the sticks right there. For that, that was the one technique for me that, I thought he gave up an easy first down on that particular play. Uh, but, look, the, he's got a reputation for bit, for giving up plays, you know, and, and being afraid of getting – maybe being afraid of getting beat over the top or, or being hesitant about getting beat over the top so he's not super aggressive. 
and everybody's going to continue to come at him until he makes some plays. That's just the way it is. Well, I, you said this, and I a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, but I just he just doesn't seem like he he plays with confidence. Agreed. I mean, and that, that was your point. I mean, I'm just repeating it. And I mean, that's what it looked like Thursday night. I mean, athletically, you know, from measurables, you talk about a long, you know, six foot, whatever, you know, corner with long arms and, and a guy that can run. He just doesn't, he, it, it's a position, you know, other than quarterback, maybe the position where confidence is the most important on the football field. And, and I'm not sure that, you know, that he really looks like a guy that has a lot of it. Well, that's what Jonathan Wade talked about, Eric, on the, the Rocky Top Rewind on Sunday night when we were doing that show. We, when we were talking about Warren Burrell, what do you do? And he's like, sometimes it just takes one play. You know, if one good thing happens to you, you kind of get your mojo back and get kind of like saying a shot going in basketball. Yeah, same. Yeah, same principle. Shot going in basketball for a guy who's maybe not shooting it real well, or a guy on the green. You know, see a putt go in, and and suddenly the you know, you, you, your putting stroke gets realigned a little bit. I, I don't think he was as bad as a lot of fans wanted to make him out or to suggest that he was. But he's clearly the guy that everybody's going to attack right now. And, and Pitt's going to attack him and go at him on, on Saturday, and we'll see how he responds. I think it was the great Shane Falco in the movie The Replacements that said, quicksand, you know, one thing goes wrong, then another, then another, then another. And what Wade was talking about on the Rocky Top Rewind was sometimes you just need one pick and then even simplify just have one good rep one good game and then maybe you can kind of reverse that course moving forward uh a couple more things just here on this ball state game then we'll move on to Pitt. but Austin, i think i think something that we we saw a lot of rotation you know we saw the second the, the entire second unit offensive line some skill players of course joe milton on defense they were rotating that front seven pretty much all game corners those two safeties, man, they played well into the third quarter, and finally you got some reimbursements in there or some reinforcements in there. I think we'd like to see some safeties get a little bit more run early on, but Josh Heupel said, hey, you're, you're going to rotate, but those guys are going to get the bulk of the work every single game. I remember Hubs calling me at one point last year on a Sunday and saying, Austin, they won by 40 points, and Trayvon Flowers and Jalen McCullough were there at the end playing 78 snaps or whatever it was. It was something silly. Like, I just don't get it, man. I'll never understand it. I don't know if, like, because Tim Banks, who runs the safeties, is in the box, that they fall asleep and rotating guys at that position. I don't know what it is. It, it makes no sense why those two guys were in the game as long as they were, at least not to me. Not when you never know when one of those guys could go down and, and you're going to have to push some of those guys, Rob. And and, and when you put when you got to throw some kid in that hadn't played a whole lot, even if it's a veteran like a – you know, um, you know, uh, Turntine's not played a ton, but he's, you know, but he's, he's in, you know, been in the, you know, Ohio State program for a couple of years, or a Wesley Walker or whoever. I mean, like that's not an easy a gig if you've not played any of this defense or bare bones. But you've got the Nico Slaughter there, who has played, you know, a I mean, he's a he's a third year in your program. He, I mean, he's a backup. I mean, me me and Kane were talking during the game as it unfolded. I was trying to keep up with it because I, I was writing something about it. Jalen McCullough is the only guy on defense that didn't come off the field in the first half. I mean, they rotated everybody out except for him. And I'm not, you know, trashing Flowers and McCullough as, as players, but I'm, I mean, just to, to your, the point you just made, why you know why are those guys playing 70, 80 snaps and you know in, in games where you're winning by you know 40, 50 points? It's the chance to develop guys that they they missed out on those opportunities last year. We mentioned the Missouri game countless times, South Carolina. Uh, they did, for the most part, well all across the board except the safety position, which I just don't understand. 
Uh, flipping the script down to Pittsburgh, Tennessee, obviously flipping the script uh, numerous times. Players, uh, Jerome Carvin, Jabari Small said, hey, you know, we remember that football game, bad taste in our mouth from last year. They, they never said revenge or anything like that, but it's a game that stuck with them. Um, they all, both those players, Josh Heupel mentioned how physical uh, this pit football team is going to be. And, and you know, one thing's for certain, though, on the nation last night, Austin, Pat Narduzzi is not pleased with how his, pits, uh, his t- pit team performed in the backyard brawl. Excited for the win, but not pleased whatsoever with the with the performance of his defense. No, I mean they they gave up you know some uh, they gave up some points more so than, than he probably would have hoped they would have. Um, I, I think it kind of works two ways. You know, you don't get yourself beat up when you're playing a team like you know Ball State, but on the flip side, you can kind of find out where you have uh, some deficiency. Um, if, if you're in Pittsburgh playing, you know, West Virginia. So, you know, I think he's able to go to back to work and go, okay, hey, you know, defensive line, you got to be better in this area. Linebackers, you got to be better in that area. And and so I, I think that that does give them a little bit of advantage because I think they probably have a better feel for who they are than Tennessee does. But at the same time, they have, a, you know, some nicks and bruises coming out of that game because it was such a physical game. I think it's going to be fascinating to, to see just kind of these two go at it because there, there's such a contrast in styles and, and Josh Heupel wants to do things. And, and it, look, they've played each other enough. Josh Heupel really wants to win this game. Pat Narduzzi really wants to shut down, you know, the, the, the love affair that is, you know, Josh Heupel's offense. And, and they've, they've had some slugfest. I mean, they've gone at it pretty good back when he was at central Florida and Narduzzi was at Pitt. So you got a real contrast in styles and you got two hyper competitive guys that, that are going at this thing here. And, and, and neither one of them give a lot of ground is the other thing that jumps out to me, Rob. I mean, here's Tennessee. Um, they love the big play and Pat Narduzzi is going to go out there with his corners and say, you're going to play press man, you know, and, and we're going to come get you. And if you don't get home, if we don't get home, that we may, we may give up a play and Tennessee had a chance for a bunch of plays last year and they didn't get it. But Pat Narduzzi, never changed the way he played. Josh Heupel is not going to change the way he plays either, you know? Um, so I, I think it's just, it's, it's a real interesting battle because it is two real conflicting styles going at each other, which makes this a really intriguing matchup for me. Yeah. And, and me too. And, and I haven't like gone back and studied it in detail that the Pitt West Virginia game, but I've looked at all the numbers and, you know, what, what, so it really surprised me how much success West Virginia had on the ground. And as you alluded to, not, earlier, I mean, hype, you know, the offense gets all this hype for, you know, being flashy and pushing the ball downfield, but really, you know, at, at the core, I mean, hype wants to run the football. You know, Tennessee was second in the SEC in rushing last year. And, you know, that's, that that's where they're going to start on Saturday. And if they, if they can run the ball, if they approach having the same success that West Virginia had, I mean, West Virginia ran for almost 200 yards, I think 190 averaged well over five yards a carry. I mean, if Tennessee has that kind of success, on Saturday, I mean, I, I I've already picked Tennessee to win, but I mean, I really like Tennessee's chances a lot if they're if they're getting five six yards of carry. I mean, I, that 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 is the number that surprised me more than anything from that West Virginia game. If I gave you a pit and twenty one, would you still take Tennessee? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Come on, you know, Rob, have some faith. Go get go home. Six, you know the go ahead, Rob. I was just gonna say, I mean, the six yards of carry, I think it was 5.8 actually. That I mean, that really caught me off guard just because of you know, studying Pitt in the offseason and you know, seeing what they brought back and you know, Narduzzi's reputation. They've got a lot of guys back in the front seven, so and I, 
maybe West Virginia is a lot better than, than I think they are, but I think they're pretty average. And for them to have that kind of success, that, that was pretty eye-opening for me. Yeah, and the misnomer about Josh Heupel's offense is that that it's all about passing the football. I mean, they, they want to run the football, and when they're at their best and, and at the core, that's who they are. I think in half the games he's coached at Tennessee, they've rushed for over 200 yards. And uh, you're right, Rob. If they hit that kind of number, man, then, then this offense – this Tennessee offense got a chance to, to, to hum really good on Saturday because you're going to put all kinds of pressure on Pittsburgh's defense if you can line up and run the football effectively. And, and, and I think Jerome Carvin and those guys know that, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll see how they, they respond to it and we'll see how they play at the left tackle position because this is the test, right? Like, like, no offense to Ball State, you didn't learn anything about left tackle, okay? Gerald Minty's athletic, but we knew he was the more athletic guy going in, right? You knew he was the bigger guy, looked the more looked the part better than the JJ Crawford going in. Now it's can he handle it when it gets haywire? You know how does he play there? They they just weren't tested, so that big question mark remains, and we'll see how they handle it. If Tennessee can handle that up front and have some success like West Virginia had, then I'm with Rob. I think Tennessee's got a chance to have a great day. Yeah, and as Rob pointed out in his uh, scouting the opponent piece way back when, I mean, this defense has six players who garnered all ACC selections returning. Got a couple guys up front, and Jerome Carvin and Jabari Small both spoke on how familiar they are with this defense. Uh, Baldonado at the defensive end had a sack last week. Can't see at the defensive tackle. Uh, he's a force that played well last year against Tennessee. At linebacker, you have Dennis in the middle, I think. Uh, had 10 tackles against West Virginia, had a sack. And then, of course, they had a big play towards the end of the football game in the backyard brawl. They had a 56-yard interception return, of course, for a touchdown that was – A gift. A yeah. gift is what that was. An right unbelievable hands. gift. It was a good throw from Daniels. Um, yeah. and, and so you kind of know what you're going to get defensively at least, or at least from the personnel because they're very familiar with it. But, again, as you got to mention, the opportunities to run the football, it's kind of eye-opening compared to their first game. Now, you look at offensively. No Kenny Pickett. You have Keaton Slovis. We can get to him in a moment, but uh, you know, Pitt's going to want to run that football. We mentioned earlier 38 rushing attempts, uh, averaged not even two yards a carry, I believe. It was really, really bad. Nonetheless, they're going to oftentimes, and Heupel mentioned this on Monday, they're going to oftentimes throw another offensive tackle out there. In fact, if you go look at the participation sheet, the starting lineups from this backyard brawl, there are six offensive linemen listed in the starting lineup. I haven't watched play number one from that football game, but I'm intrigued if they just went out there and tried to just run it up the gut from the get-go. It's going to be physical up there. They're going to try to run the football. And then Keaton Slovis, uh, Rob, is a guy that's good enough, had a good game against West Virginia, to work that play-action pass and get over the top if you're not careful. Yeah, I just I just don't think they have the playmakers that, that really that really scare you. That's what – I mean, I, I think Pitt has to have a really good game defensively for, for – to you know, for Tennessee to get out of sorts. And I know, you know, Las Vegas has Tennessee favored. I think probably, and I don't know, I don't know about Mr. Negative Hover, but I, th I think most of us probably have Tennessee winning. I just, I think Tennessee's catching Pitt at a good spot. I mean, Slovis has obviously got some talent, but he's, he's going to, your second game in, in, in a new system. I just, if, if Pitt's defense doesn't really show up and give Tennessee problems. I, I, I like Tennessee's chances. I'll I'll make sure Hubs' wife slips him a couple of pain pills before he does the picks. <laughs> that way he's feeling good and picks Tennessee. You know what, what's what's interesting about Pitt on the offense, um, the offensive side of the ball is that is such a group of veteran offensive linemen that they that they tout. You know what what like two hundred starts or whatever their number is now up to. It seems like because some of those guys are COVID guys. 
who have come back. I mean, they have played a lot of football. Give up five sacks. Yeah, that sh- they should be the bell cow for them offensively. And I think that's what Pat Narduzzi was hoping for and talking about this summer. Uh, they did not play that way. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that unit responds and how the defensive front responds uh, after week one heading into week two uh, for, for Coach Narduzzi. Because, again, coaches will tell you they make their biggest jumps and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of tape and a lot of evidence for those guys to, to improve upon. We'll see what kind of improvement they make. And again, trying to run the football and, and speaking with some people at Pittsburgh over the offseason. Uh, Rob, I, I'm not even going to try to say this guy's name. Have you mastered this guy's name, the Israel running back? That's an AP name. <laughs> I'm anyway, in the conduct. That you know, had a little bit of an injury last year that they're going to try to get back into the fold. But it was Rodney Hammond Jr. that you know carried the football 16 times against West Virginia. And they throw the football to the uh, running backs in the backfield a lot as well. I think two running backs had two receptions out of the backfield uh, against West Virginia. And, so and it's going to be a challenge. Their, their longest run of the night was 13 yards yeah. from a tailback. I mean, that's, yeah. I again, think maybe West Virginia is way better than I think they are. Maybe I'm selling, you know, pit short, but I just was uh, offensively, I was just not very impressed with Pittsburgh. Tennessee scored 34 points against Pittsburgh last year. It's new year, new team. I get it. 34 points with a backup quarterback coming in in the second quarter down your starting two running or your two top running backs, three top running backs, excuse me. Um, Cade Mays, I think we discussed earlier on Monday, went down in this football game. Cooper went down. I mean, Tennessee was back there was against no, the wall. There was no Byron Young in this football game. Had chances to win last year. I think if you score 34 this week, then you're 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 in a good you're in a good spot, AP. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I think Tennessee's gonna score more than 34, but maybe I'm no. maybe I'm, I'm I'm out there on that. But I mean I you know if you scored 34 at home with all the what I think a year later you just how many points do they leave on the board with overthrows in the first half? I mean, I, that's kind of where I go with it. I mean, like, I'm not saying that Pitt's not going to have some points because, I mean, I think they will. I'm just saying I think a lot of it depends on how does Pitt play. Does Pitt just go Georgia Tech 2017? I know they're not running the triple option, but just try to hold the ball and keep the ball away and kind of do what Kentucky did. You know, at, at times, the, you know, the last couple of meetings, Tennessee's played Kentucky up in Lexington. I mean, I think it's possible. Um, you know, but I, I think for the most part, you know, Tennessee's going to have their chances, you know, coming up this weekend. All right. So Tennessee and Pittsburgh coming up this weekend. Of course, we will have plenty of coverage leading up to that football game all week long. Before we go, or before we go, moved on to the next uh, topic, do we think that Tennessee wears orange pants in honor of Johnny Majors coming up this weekend? I mean, Coach Majors loved the orange pants, right? Yes, he did. And I would think that there's a real possibility and a good likelihood that that, that they might do that. Um, you know, we've got a bunch of stuff on the site all week long um, in regards to, to, to Coach Majors, something that, that I've enjoyed doing with, with Carmen Tagano for the start of a podcast project that, that we're working on that, that's going to be a part of uh, some stuff this fall with, with former players. And uh, it, if you haven't done your research, it's amazing how revered uh, John Majors is, Johnny Majors is at, at Pittsburgh. I mean, statue being unveiled for him his, th- this week up there. Of course, he won a national title. But the interesting thing about Pittsburgh is when Coach Majors got there, they were on the verge of going from Division One down. They were getting ready to, they were getting ready to go down and, and not play Division One football uh, and, and drop down because they had no financial funding and they didn't want to make any kind of commitment to athletics, uh, particularly to the football program. 
And uh, so pretty fascinating in terms of what Coach Majors built in a short period of time there when he arrived to a pit program that had not been very good. So I would like to see Tennessee in orange pants. Um, I, I know Pittsburgh will make a big deal about honoring Coach Majors throughout the week and certainly on Saturday as well. It was a fun weekend of college football, and kind of on that note with Pittsburgh as well, um, and, and it had an impact in this game last week or last year, special teams. That was kind of the theme of week one in college football over the weekend. You saw it on Sunday nights, Florida States and LSU, of course. You know, just the little things work, or little things can work against you, rather. Uh, Rob Lewis, big things that stood out to you in week one around the college football slate. A lot of fun games, exciting games, and one game with Appalachian State, North Carolina, that Goodness gracious, they almost scored 200 points. Just the the Florida State LSU game is so fresh in my mind. It's just I I'm I read this somewhere on Twitter today, so it's not something I had filed away. But I, the most hilarious thing in, in the aftermath of LSU fumbling two punts, missing an extra point, having a field goal block. The only coach that followed Brian Kelly from Notre Dame was his special teams coach. <laughs> <laughs> It, it was a mess. I mean, you go look at it. I, I think when you look at the, the college football landscape, that, that was the craziest game that you've ever seen. I mean, well, I don't know what Florida State was trying to do at the end, you know, pitching it. Why are you pitching it at the line of scrimmage? You, you had just run fullback dive the previous drive, and then, and, and no, nobody at Florida State's following it on social media, but everybody's going, God bless the fullback. You know, somebody's under center, and then all of a sudden they want to turn and pitch it off the goal line, which was crazy. But, but when you look at the big, the, the big picture and the big landscape of, of college football over the weekend, um, boy, what a rough weekend for the Pac-12. Um, I mean, that conference has got some major issues in terms of where they're at. You know, their, their, best, their two best programs were supposed to be Oregon and, and Utah, and, and both of them uh, come into SEC territory and, and get beat. And, of course, Oregon got trounced. And a rough weekend for the ACC. I mean, if if – if LSU doesn't screw up special teams, I mean, the, the ACC has got nothing that they're hanging their hat on because East Carolina should have won. Mm-hmm. Appalachian State should have won or could have very easily won. Um, Louisville was terrible against Syracuse. Um, maybe Miami's the best team in the ACC right now. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but but not a great weekend for those two conferences. But a great weekend to sit and watch a bunch of crazy football games, and, which and is Hub- why we Hub- all love this sport. Hubbard, did you see UCLA's home crowd? Did yeah, not a lot of people in the house. Awesome. Not a lot of people you, in the house there. What do you? What do you? On that note, I, I sit there in the press box uh, Saturday, and I thought, what are the emotions that Brew McCoy is feeling right now? One, getting to be back out on the field, but the two, be in the atmosphere. And I mean, Nealon was not nearly what Nealon can be it was ball state it was a thursday but it was still really good and you know it's just so much more superior to anything in the pac 12 uh minus maybe oregon uh, as far as just like on a thursday ball state game neyland's superior to oregon period but like there's nothing that even comes close to sec atmospheres but oregon out there what do you think the emotions were for him well i mean i think just the emotions of getting to play in general were probably um, overwhelming to him after setting out a year and then having to go through all he went through in the month of August to get there. But, you know, I, th- I think for everybody, I mean, for, for anybody who plays, it, it's – it just it, – I hate the mantra because we, we all make fun of it. It just means more. But but it is different. Whatever anybody wants to say, I mean, it, it is it is different in the SEC, which is why Greg Sankey's not worried about 
expansion. He's not worried about how many conference games he plays. He's not worried about college football playoffs. I mean, he's got the he's got the the the, the, the conference that everybody's still trying to chase. And I know the Big Ten got their big TV deal and all those types of things, but the passion of it in the SEC is just is just so so different than everybody else around the country. I mean, it just it's pretty remarkable. And as a result, you're seeing the investment in the programs and you see the SEC go 13 and one this weekend. And, and, you know, a couple of teams didn't play particularly well. You know, there's a lot of question marks about some teams. I thought Texas A&M was eh. Ole Miss was eh, you know, um, nice, nice win for Arkansas. Kentucky took them a while to figure get kind of get going really nice win for Billy Napier. Um, you know, Alabama's what we thought they would be. I didn't make anything out of Auburn this weekend, but just again, the SEC proved to everybody this weekend that they're still the SEC and everybody's still chasing them. And it's the hardest league to catch up to the other teams in the league. Anything about Florida, Utah, you want to say, Austin? I know you put some notes on the board. Um, I thought the the Utah college football playoff conversation over the offseason was well hyped. I think that uh, – I think Rising's a, good, a decent little quarterback, but uh, again – It was all based off of their uh, – their performance in the Rose Bowl, yep. how they put, you know, they were, you know, they could have easily beat Ohio State, but I was an Ohio State team that had several guys out, but still, it doesn't matter. I still they, picked Utah to win that football talent. game, and and they still had their main talent, um, and, you know, I mean, in Jigba and 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 you know, obviously, you know, what they do at the quarterback spot there is is really really good, um, but you know, they had a ton of guys returning. I get why, you know, because people are just looking for, you know. It's easy to go Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and, you know, Clemson bounces back, and there's the four, right? I mean, it, everybody's looking at me. Dan Mullen had NC State making the playoff in his out-of-left-field top pick. So, I mean, maybe you know, that Maybe that's why Dan Mullen's an analyst right now because <laughs> obviously yeah. no research was done in that way. But, but to your point, Austin, I know exactly what you're saying, which brings up this question. Should you – I mean, should you wait three weeks in to rank anybody? Yes, I mean, you do that for the you do that for the well, the old BCS did that. You've got the college football playoff that does that a little bit earlier now than the BCS did. But like, you wait till X amount of games are played before you do any rankings because it's all just kind of hogwash. I mean, Tennessee was ranked preseason third in two thousand five. They went five and six. You know, well, each team is different. They each have their own turmoils. They have each their own positives or negatives. Um, you know, that a lot of fans don't necessarily see, and so. You know, yeah, I think you should wait a handful of weeks before you go ranking anyone. Yeah, I'd, I'd be a big fan of that. I mean, I, I get why it's out there. I mean, it gives everybody something to talk about. But even just go back to last year, Michigan wasn't ranked in the preseason. Ends up end up in the playoffs. I mean, rankings are you know, the first week of September just are, are meaningless. I mean, yeah, like, they, yeah. they, they they create conversation. I I get it. You know, but but it also creates a question about how good are teams, right? So, like, like how good is Florida, okay? That they went at home against a team that was cramping, you know, four minutes into the game and throwing up on the sideline in the first quarter because Utah was struggling with the heat. And I'm not taking anything away from Florida's win. That's a, that's a big-time win for, for Billy Napier in, in game number one. But, but in three weeks, we're going to look at that and go, wow, that was a really big win because Utah's really good. Or are we going to look at that and go, eh, maybe Utah's got – more issues than everybody thought about. Biggest takeaway from Florida is the fact that you're going to have to deal with Anthony Richardson. When Anthony, when you when you get good Anthony Richardson, and he's playing under control, 
you, you get your hands full to try to get with him. You, you got to try to figure out a way to make him throw the football and beat you and try to limit his legs, which I think is going to be really hard to do because I think they're going to continue to grow with him and what they do in terms of some of the quarterback run stuff. He, he was – and I'm not – I'm not saying Tennessee can't beat them because of that, but there looked like there was some growth from Anthony Richardson in the offseason under Billy Napier. That game's coming up in two weeks. The LSU game that we all watched a couple of nights ago, that's coming up after the bye week in about a month. You'll find a lot. You'll weekend. find out a lot, Kane, this weekend when Florida plays Kentucky. You'll find out about Kentucky and you'll find out about Florida. Yeah. Just a little bit more about each. Still, though, Kentucky could be down one of its best players. So, Oh, we will have to see. Oh, yeah. And the college football playoff will be expanding. So we're fast and furious into the college football season. There is no uh, shortage on storylines. And, of course, Tennessee football, all the coverage, everything you need about Tennessee from the Ball State win. And, of course, leading up to the Pittsburgh game, you can find it at VolQuest.com. Been fun. Been a great weekend, guys. Had a whole lot of fun on the On3 network. It's been a great transition. Please continue. If you haven't already and you're listening to this podcast, just go to VolQuest.com. There'll be a tab up at the top that says, hey, $1 for one year. What do you have to lose? If you've ever wondered what it's like to be a part of the VolQuest family, inviting all Tennessee fans, take advantage of the deal. $1 for one year. And, of course, as always, continue to follow our work and subscribe to the VolQuest YouTube channel. For Austin Price, Brent Hubbs, and Rob Lewis, I'm Eric Kane. Thank you so much for hanging out with us here on the VolQuest podcast. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.